over the course of human history. There's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind. St. Francis of Assisi, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals. And Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents... Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, once again, every Sunday night, 11 to 12, it is the most uh, looked forward to of the many hours that I do all week long, where WABC stands for always broadcasting Curtis. The most called into, the most uh, where we get interaction based on the subject matter, animal welfare with my wife, Nancy, a great animal rescuer like so many others out there who are listening now who, uh, without any attention or recognition, uh, rescue uh, cats and dogs and other animals with need. Uh, They adopt them. Uh, They uh, do so many things to make sure that their lives uh, are much better than they might have been. So uh, right before July 4th, Nancy, this is probably maybe the most perilous time for those who are indoor pets and your family members, your furry little family members, or if they happen to be animals out in the wild because of all the fireworks that are going to be going off Many of them, uh, in some places, back-to-back, belly-to-belly. Oh, Broadway Billy, boy, that's pretty weak fireworks. Might on a mind, man. And it, that wouldn't even make it, uh, you know, uh, on the corner. I'd rather have uh, taps, a little just hitting taps there on the corner. Man, wow, you did not bring your A game this evening. But anyway, uh, Nancy, first and yeah. foremost... This is the time of year where um, the dogs, the cats, and other animals go absolutely out of their minds because of all the fireworks being exploded. Yes. What uh, what can <laughs> what can people do? Um, okay, so obviously the the first thing would be to keep them away from the fireworks. So you know the idea of bringing them to events where fireworks are going to be set off isn't really a smart idea. So, you know, if you aren't staying home with them, you can't shift your plans, which would be, you know, good. You can also just make sure that they're set up where they're indoors and, you know, they're in a space where, you know, they're not going to be hearing this, hearing that as much. So, you know, maybe you have something on in the background, um, certainly something where they can't escape because, you know, sometimes people would think, oh, I'll leave them outside and that's fine. But, you know, because they'll be outside in the fresh air all day if I'm going to be gone. But, you know, that would be the opposite effect because, you know, when the fireworks go off, if if in that neighborhood, then they'll get scared, potentially run away. So, I mean, that would be the initial thing to do just based on the fireworks. Well, the dogs and cats especially – uh, when those fireworks start going off, and I mean, it's like bombs bursting in air. I've actually witnessed them in previous years, duck for cover, shake, bounce off the uh, walls, uh, somehow extricate themselves from the apartment or the house and get lost. They, they, they get so discombobulated that it affects their ability to actually find their way back home. They They like... In total fear and in trauma, they run and run and keep running and forget where they are, and they can't even find their way back. Yeah, I mean, obviously that would be the worst-case scenario if they were able to escape. Um, You know, at a minimum, if they don't have that degree of reaction, I mean, they're still going to be experiencing stress. That's a given. Their sensitivity to noise is just so great that, I mean, this is traumatizing to their system. I mean, there's really just no way around it, so... Um, unless they are in a place where this isn't happening, it's not an air shot, or they're completely contained. But um, what's interesting is I was I was looking for you know like maybe additional uh, tips for 
you know, pets, uh, you know, during the holiday. And I found this really curious, um, you know, guidance by the ASPCA. And it was really just referring to the July 4th holiday itself and, you know, things to look out for. And I was presuming it was going to be all about the fireworks. And surprisingly, it included a lot of things that I had never considered before. So, um, Well, such as? <laughs> so the, the first thing, which I thought was actually very funny, was never leave, leave alcoholic drinks unattended where pets can reach them. So that would have never occurred to me <laughs> that if you – I mean, and, and it makes sense. Like, you know, people have those sort of uh, party plastic um, drink containers when people are over and things are going on and, you know, people are inside, outside. They might leave a cup on the table and, and not think about it. You know, so, you know, be mindful of something like that. Um, now, weird ones that I hadn't heard of, they were saying don't apply sunscreen or insect repellent to your pet if it's not – uh, specifically made for animals. Now, that wouldn't occur to me that people might do that, but apparently if that was something that would cross your mind, <laughs> to, put, to put sunscreen on your dog, mm. you'd want to get one that was made for dogs. So, um, you know, just a little a thing to... But, th- but then also, you know, things like um, lighter fluid. So, you know, obviously barbecues, open flames, um, you know, you might be leaving things like that around. They were suggesting even matches could be a problem. You know, some dogs will just eat anything that's, that is left around. Um, and, you know, and, and then also things like citronella candles. Now, that's a very specific thing, which makes sense, too, obviously, with all of the, the mosquitoes at night. Um, you know, people might just have those on. That, that, that's very commonplace. So that's something um, that's not um, good for animals to potentially ingest. So be very mindful of how those are being stored. Um, you know, whether it's a closed container or something that's way out of reach um, for them. Uh, you know, so, again, those were a couple of things I hadn't thought of necessarily. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Now, the other night, Thursday night, we were at the annual fireworks celebration at Astoria Park, uh, which uh, the fireworks were being uh, blasted over the East River. And you were concerned about this one little fluffy little yarn ball dog that was in a car, uh, A, because of the noise of the fireworks, but B, because it was a hot day and you saw that that dog was panting. What were the things you observed and what are the things that we can convey to our many listeners? Because we're coming in to the heart of the summer season soon, and uh, people will oftentimes leave their pets in their cars under these kind of circumstances. Yeah, so, uh, you know, obviously what what happened was, uh, you know, the, the some of the spaces started to open up on that avenue right before the fireworks display um, went off, and, you know, this one car had parked, and a bit of time later I had noticed there was, a, you know, like a, like a poodle, looking dog in the car. Uh, now, no, you know, the car's not on, so there's no air. It's it's fairly hot that day in terms of being humid. And it, what the car had was um, like a roof, you know, like a, a, a sort of a rooftop thing, which was open a little bit, but not that much. But again, now, so the dog is uh, panting. Now, I know what the panting usually means. It's like um, a heat element, you know, but also it could have been excited for the moment. It's in a different environment. Maybe it's being stressed out. So, you know, we were mindful of that. But, you know, a short time later, the uh, owners, they did come back and, you know, they had, they took the dog out. And, you know, so, but again, while the dog was there, it was hiding underneath the seats when I went back to check on it. So, you know, I mean, just not an ideal situation. So, you know, not quite sure what would be the scenario as to why, you know, someone would not have left the dog home if you were just going to leave them in the car anyway. Um, so, you know, but just something to, to think about. Not really a good idea. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Speaking of dogs, oh, my God, this uh, this scenario was really repulsive. Apparently, um, some uh, animal uh, abusers were busted after the cops found their dog dangling from a fifth-floor banister. You explain the the torture that was being applied to this dog, and why the hell were they hanging this dog from a banister? 
Uh, okay, well, I think the presumption is that this was going to be some form of a fighting dog, uh, because when this individual, 26-year-old Shatik Bennett, uh, was arrested, when the cops had showed up at his apartment based on a tip, the Animal Cruelty, uh, cruelty Squad, and this dog was dangling from its collar, the leash is attached to a railing on the fifth-story floor, and you know, when he's arrested for doing this, he says that he was trying to make the dog tough. Um, he was trying to make him aggressive. So, now, uh, apparently that, that had really had no effect because when they t were able to get the dog down, the dog was so super friendly to all these people. So, I mean, maybe he was just really happy to be away from this guy. But So he winds up being arrested for animal cruelty, um, you know, and I don't know right uh, yet what the status of that case is, but I'm not really thinking it's going to go um, anywhere, unfortunately, because in March he was arrested, uh, and he's currently going through um, the court system based on that. He was arrested for allegedly strangling and beating his girlfriend with a cord and a belt and threatening to kill her if she didn't give him money. So he's apparently that wasn't enough to keep him in jail, so as he's out um, defending himself, he's only been in court twice since March. Uh, you know, he's doing this. So, uh, well, I, I, you know, the Curtis Lewa approach would say, uh, "Tough guy here. You beat up women. You hang dogs uh, because you think it's going to toughen them for fighting. Why don't we do exactly the same thing to him and hang him from the banister and see how he likes it?" I mean, I'm for that. I mean, clearly nothing's going to happen. This was in Manhattan, so Alvin Bragg, forget it. You can uh, assault people. Uh, if you assault animals, you're not going to you're not going to do any major time. They're going to cut you loose. Anyway, I mean, the, yeah, the top charge with the um, with the woman was only an A misdemeanor. So, I mean, that's going to be knocked down to a violation. He's not going to serve any time. So. He's definitely not going to serve any time for this animal abuse. Yeah, and you just keep uh, – Alvin Bragg keeps turning these criminals loose, uh, whether they're committing crime on people or crime on animals. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And before I came over to WABC earlier, we were looking at a story, which was really a feel-good story. Our American military assigned to the Middle East had come upon – a female dog who was in peril, but had, I think it was like, what, eight puppies? And they ended up rescuing all of them? Yeah, so uh, this was a, a group that was stationed in the Middle East, and, you know, this, this pregnant dog had wound up uh, digging a hole underneath uh, one of the shipping containers at the military base, and, you know, they, they wound up calling this dog Meatball, and ultimately gave birth to eight dogs who, you know, they were, uh, you know, assisting to help her take care of because it was at the military base. But uh, shortly after she gave birth, there was uh, drastic weather, like an ice storm, so they had to bring them inside, and they were like, personally caring for all these dogs. So uh, through, you know, um, you know, they were very concerned about leaving and what was going to happen to these dogs because, unfortunately, where they were deployed – they're viewed as vermin, so you know there was obviously a high likelihood that you know if they were released onto the streets, they would wouldn't make it. So they, uh, an organization called Pause of War, actually was um, contacted, and they are assisting them where all of these dogs, uh, prior to them being deployed, uh, I'm sorry, prior to them going home rather are going to be um, situated into a home, so this way they don't have to worry about them. And, you know, what they really um, brought up as to why they're doing this, they said the animals, they mean so much to the active military. So the difference that they're making in their lives, because they're so far away from their family and the, the level of care that they're doing for these animals, it gives them something to focus on. Like, they, they realize the important connection that that's making, and this is why they do it, so... That is one of these great feel-good stories. Yeah, and it's uh, in the time I've spent in the Middle East, Dubai, Bahrain, uh, over in Jordan, Egypt, um, a little bit uh, of Syria and the Bekaa Valley. 
I would see dogs occasionally uh, that would be uh, like at a house, somebody's house. But very much so in the Middle East, they are not dog friendly at all. So I could easily understand why that dog, pregnant as she was, delivering eight pups, was probably considered a pariah in some uh, in whatever section of the Middle East that was. Yeah, and again, with that sort of classification as vermin, I mean, you can see how if anything were to happen, if, you know, any, um, you know, uh, if someone gets sick, if anything pops up out of nowhere, you know, usually the first thing that happens is, oh, let's just kill uh, all of the street animals. So, you know, that, that would make sense. I mean, you know, if anything ever happens, like, they would be the first to go. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Once again, the situation involving whales and dolphins continues. I see they found three dolphins who had died as they were stranded on the Jersey Shore. Uh, Do we have any information about what may have led to their untimely death? Okay, so at this point, no, uh, because the testing is still pending now you know it has been a little bit of time it's been mm, like over a week but um so apparently all three of these they were found one day apart on you know from each other on the jersey shore all three were alive when uh you know they uh wound up on the shore but one died before the rescuers uh could get there one wound up dying on the shore and then the third one had to be euthanized so it was of a young female and two males, um, one that was a rare uh, type of dolphin. So again, now this is this is the 43rd dolphin that's been stranded on the Jersey Shore this year alone. So again, they're still waiting. They don't know what happened to it, but you know this is a trend that's continuing, and it's you know there, it's still no clear correlation is being made from any official authorities. Now, so this continues on with the number of whales that are dying, dolphins dying. Most of it can be attributed, uh, at least we believe, to uh, the installation of these massive windmills six miles offshore, uh, what's needed the sonar to find the right spot, and then the blasting caps to uh, basically dig into the uh, ocean's uh, bottom, uh, these huge... Uh, these huge construction uh, pieces that embed uh, the towers so that above ground, uh, I mean above the water, that the propellers can go round and round. And still, there doesn't seem to be any acknowledgement from elected officials, Governor Murphy in New Jersey, Governor Holcomb here in New York, that they may be leading to these untimely deaths. And it's, and it's interesting, too, because uh, one of the only official words on it was um, yeah, that it wasn't re- uh, related to anything. They said, well, it's not uncommon for, you know, older uh, sick dolphins to, to wash up on shore. Meanwhile, they identified two of them as pre-adult, I mean, super young. So, you know, even the, the line they're trying to sell doesn't make any sense. Now, if we go to the West Coast, they're having a problem uh, south uh, of, uh, I would say, Fresno down to San Diego of the magnificent sea lions that I've seen sort of sunning themselves on the beaches of uh, Southern California. It is really magnificent to see. They're not perishing as a result of putting out either oil wells, of which there are some off of the coast of Santa Barbara, or even windmills, of which there are some. They're perishing from uh, algae and toxins in the algae because this algae has just grown so massively. It's spread uh, through most of South Carol- uh, excuse me, Southern California's beaches that it's causing the sea lions to perish at alarming rates. Yeah, so again, this is, you know, a, a no clear-cut um, indication as to why this year, particularly that toxic algae bloom is so completely large, and it's like 200 miles, it's getting bigger. And, you know, as you pointed out, it's, it's all along the uh, Pacific Coast area. So... All along California, this is um, slowly um, killing the, and it's dolphins and sea lions that are washing up on shore. And what this is doing, it's almost like a neurotoxin. So it's giving them seizures, 
and unfortunately, most of them are perishing uh, as a result of this. Now they're getting now. It, it, again, the numbers are staggering. I mean, I, you know, I started looking into this. I didn't realize so thousands of calls. Okay, since May, so only two months, they've had thousands of calls where people are observing um, washed-up uh, sea lions and dolphins, and they're what they're doing is you know they're not really able to help the dolphins whatsoever, but the sea lions. They're bringing in, they're trying to assist them to the best that they can. But the problem is, even once they, you know, potentially get the toxins flushed out of their system, they can't return them to the ocean because it's toxic. So now you have this issue where their natural habitat they can't go back to, and there's not enough space to really hold them. So this is a problem. Um, and I'm not sure if they have any idea yet of how they're going to resolve this. Now, again, what this could be connected to is hard to say, too, because I know one thing is, like, I don't know if it's related also with maybe the um, the lesser whale population, because whales do eat um, algae blooms. So if there's less whale population, that could account for why there's more. Now, again, their system reacts differently to it. They're much bigger, so it, it probably, you know, it they affects them differently as opposed to a sea lion. So, again, there's clearly a connection as to what it is. I don't know if they know yet, but... You know, well, what's interesting, too, I I had stayed in um, at uh, Big Sur in California, and I remember camping there overnight and in, in the morning waking up, like, sleeping right on the uh, the shoreline, and the sea lions would be making noises, like, the same way on the East Coast, like, roosters wake you up. The sea lion noises would wake you up. It was so beautiful. Yeah, and they die a horrible death because they have a series of strokes. Uh, you see them writhing in pain. Uh, it's it's an absolute horror. And as you said, you can't put them back in the water once uh, you're able to get them to recover. The sea lions, as you pointed out, the dolphins, they they just can't survive this. So they, they don't they run out of space where they can house the sea lions. It's it's really a very bad situation. Our numbers one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. WABC the Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Let's go right to the phones, uh, Nancy, and to Vinny in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC, Vinny. Hello, Curtis, Nancy. I was wondering... Um, I'm concerned with the, the whales and dolphins dying, maybe because of these wind turbines. And where is PETA? How come we don't hear their voice uh, regarding this? So uh, people for the ethical treatment uh, of animals, they, yeah, they have been kind of quiet on this. Have you heard anything from them, Nancy? You know what? No, I, I haven't. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly where they stand on this. You know, I mean, again, the, and the problem, too, is a lot of this um, work that's being done is uh, guised in this great terminology, like, oh, green energy and environmentally friendly, and but it, the effects of it aren't being stated. So, I mean, the goal is great, but the reality of what's going on isn't being stated. So I, I think they're probably, you know, maybe they're getting away with it a little bit because of that. I think it's gotten very tribal. If you happen to be a Democrat or a liberal, you think right away, oh, this is just an attack on green energy, you know, windmill-propelled energy, which is good. I I agree with it. It's good. But without understanding, it's not political. It's sort of like if, if, if animals are dying as a result of it, What's wrong with suspending those operations, doing a deep dive, studying to see whether it is, in fact, these windmills offshore that are causing the uh, uh, the whales and the dolphins to die in, in unprecedented numbers like never before? Uh, and it is just an unwillingness to do that. So maybe Peter, which definitely leans left, may have just taken a tactical point, a political point, that we don't want to go against people like AOC and others who are promoting green energy. It may be coming down to that type of tribal battle that has nothing to do with the the rights and the welfare of animals. 
Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Chris in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC. Chris. Hi, Curtis. Hi, Nancy. I do have a question. The town that I lived in uh, and also uh, the town of Linden, both have their animal shelters 50 feet away from where the police practice their shooting. Oh, God. And you were, you were talking about, you know, the, the fear and all, and I, I kept – it's behind our Home Depot, our local Home Depot, my town. And I hear the gunshots going all the time. And within 50 feet, these animals are being picked wow. up, uh, you know, strays, and it has to affect them. So, of course, I complained, you know, to the animal shelter. You know, it's run by the ASPCA, and I complained, and I I wrote to our local newspaper and all, and all they tell me is that, well, the animals get used to it, but that's Wait, wait, wait. Where where is this at? I live in Union, and I also volunteer for the Linden Animal Shelter, and they also have their shelter 50 feet away from the firing range. I mean, you hear the guns, you know, the policemen that are practicing are shooting for hours. And these dogs are 50 feet away from them in an open, you know, uh, you know, cages. Wow. So they, they have to be frightened from this. And I, I just, I don't understand the mentality of the township to do that. Well, you know, it's, in, it's interesting, Chris, because uh, just from the city side, if you go into the Bronx towards Orchard Beach, and you go over the bridge to City Island, which a lot of people do because they have so many seafood restaurants, there's a mm-hmm. place called Rodman's Neck where the police department of New York City goes and the Port Authority and other police departments to practice, which they need to do, you know, their marksmanship. But it is right. so loud there, people are always complaining. These are people, you can imagine the pets, how they're affected. So I, I can't imagine how... Somebody could say that they get used to it. There's it, no such thing as getting used to that. I I completely agree, and I don't know how to change it. But when I heard that Linden also has the same thing, I wow. kept thinking it had to be political. And there, I mean, and there think there how, think how horrific that is. It's like you're scooping them up only to uh-huh. put them in a place where they're being tortured. Like, that's that's mind-boggling. I I I agree, and I just thought you should know. Oh yeah, well, yeah, no, uh, stay you. on Thank stay you. on the line, Chris. Make yourself useful here. Can uh, get Chris's information. Uh, we'll try to find uh, follow up on that because wow, back to back, belly to belly, two different police departments having uh, a firing range within fifty yards of proximity of the city shelters for animals. It, it, boy, that is mind-boggling. Well, here's David in New Jersey who seems to want to give tactical air support to what Chris was saying. Is that correct, Dave? Yeah, I live on the edge of Linden and Elizabeth. Hi, Curtis. Great show. And um, I know exactly what she's talking about. We have a small rescue group in Elizabeth, and we know exactly what she's talking about. It's abhorrent. And okay. the local Linden people, it's like everything else in life. They, You know what they do in Linden and Elizabeth? They take care of the dogs. They, they want nothing to do with cats believe it or not. And um, there's a PetSmart in Woodbridge that knows about this. And, uh, yeah, I don't know what I can do about raise the rooftops on this, but it's, she's absolutely right. And people have complained. And, yeah, and that's that's so, all I got. So this I mean, involves yeah. the Linden Police Department? Yeah, the Linden Police. We're great people, of course. Yeah, I support police. Everyone does. But, right, it's proximate to the animal shelter. And the police range was somewhere else originally, and they moved it. But they figure, uh, like, like, like Linda's saying, all these poor animals, they're, you know, they treat them like dirt. And they figure, well, they, they, they don't get used to it. And I, uh, we have a rescue group in our neighborhood just down the line from Linda, and we told the neighbors to stop with these fireworks because it terrifies the uh, cats and the, the cats, and it does. Hmm. And she, so that's a great show I'll get off. And she, absolutely no, no, David, right. uh, yeah, your yeah. your particular rescue group, what uh, what are the activities they're involved with? Well, it's um, I, I oh, okay. If you don't mind, one more minute with me. Um, we started it after COVID because um, I just retired as a city school teacher. I've spoken to you before, Curtis. You're a great guy. You probably don't remember anyway. But um, I'm a retired New York City school teacher, and after COVID, people started dumping cats in our neighborhood in, in Elizabeth, and like a lot of other pets. So we got involved, and we do trap, neuter, and adopt, not just return. And we've been very lucky. But she is uh, so that's what we do, and. Uh, 
he is absolutely right about that. We we know about that, and they're just uh, the London police are just, and that's not the it's the administration of London. It's their their ears are closed. It's, uh, monkey see, monkey do, monkey don't do. Well, I, I tell you yeah. what, we'll do, David. Uh, stay on the line, Ken. Get Dave's information so we can follow up uh, with David. Also, it's clear that this is a problem in two towns, Nancy, where. Just seems the police are oblivious to the fact that they put their shooting range, which they need to do to practice their marksmanship, but within proximity, 50 yards of their two different shelters for animals. Yeah, I mean, and again, obviously lots of ways to work around that. Um, You can create something that is self-contained so that it's not going to have that type of sound. I've been to um, places before where, they put them underground specifically for that reason, to make sure that the noise isn't out. And, you know, these people who are uh, saying that it's okay, I would suggest that they spend, you know, just one hour out there when they're shooting and see if they still agree with that concept. With no no earplugs on, please. Right. Our numbers, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Larry in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC. Yeah, hi, Curtis. As far as the, the uh, whales and the dolphins go, I just want to give a brief suggestion. The, the public has to get a consciousness of this. I don't watch TV, but the, there has to be some kind of a nonprofit organization that can put ads on TV. And I know you like music. So, you know, the uh, the group uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash in 1988 had a song about whales and dolphins called Wind on the Water, about uh, about whales dying in a, in a different way they were dying. That song should be revived and placed upon advertisements, very poignant ads. People care about their environment, okay? We have to get people against Murphy. They're having hearings being held in New Jersey. I heard all about it, okay? They're going to put a stop to this. So many government agencies are involved. We have to get the public involved with these types of ads and with that music, okay, from Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Now, also, I wanted to talk about the dog hanging from the banister, okay? This really hits home. I'm a dog lover, okay? I see a lot of lowlifes walking around with pit bulls trying to make, it, trying to make them tough with chains, heavy chains hanging from their neck. Okay, we should start to have a, a volunteer group to follow these people home because we don't have to wait till a dog is hanging from a banister to know that a pit bull is being abused. You just got to look at the at the owner and see if he's a lowlife walking around with a pit bull trying to make it tough or antisocial. He should be followed home because behind closed doors is where most of the abuse takes place. And then these pe- and then we should send out the ASPCA on an investigation and everything. And make these people know that they cannot have animals before the animal is tortured. No, no, no you're absolutely uh, right, Larry. There's no really preemptive work that's being done. It's generally done by animal rescue groups or people who love animals. And, Nancy, uh, we get a number of calls where people have tried to contact governmental agencies, depending on where they live in eastern Pennsylvania or Connecticut. Uh, New York State or New Jersey, and they get the runaround because government really doesn't prioritize responding to animal abuse in most instances. It's almost like when you uh, call them up, uh, you're bothering them. You know, so it's sort of like, what do you want? We've got a hard enough time dealing with people. In fact, the city of New York has a special agency. We happened to watch the woman in charge the other day at a public hearing in advance of the fireworks where she was, uh, her spiel was what to do to uh, protect your animals uh, when the fireworks are going off. And as you've explained to our listeners before, it's a one-man band agency, correct? Yes, correct. It is, exactly. So there's only one person in this entire uh, huge 300,000 employees uh, that work for the city of New York in all different bureaucratic ways. And they only have one person at City Hall, one person with no other personnel that are assigned to deal with animal abuse. Yeah, I mean, and again, what's interesting is that this is clearly something that 
is in the public's mind because, you know, as we've mentioned before, when there was public hearings um, regarding, you know, changes and, and things that people wanted to be able to vote on in terms of referendum, consistently, um, you know, at every venue that we went to to speak, it was animal issues that were prevalent, um, whether it was the no-kill shelters, protection of animals, making sure you go after animal abusers. So it's like this is such a no-brainer because it is what the people want to see happen. So, again, to 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 say, oh, we're going to, you know, when it did finally get voted on, and then to do such a disservice to the will of the people by not even putting any teeth into this or staffing it at all, I mean, that's disgraceful. This is why animals continue to have this this going on you know things are so polarized in our country now depending on uh, what your politics is the people tend to not want to talk to get talk with one another work together with one another but the one issue we have found is that when you discuss animal welfare issues about dogs or cats or other animals a person who could be a hardcore MAGA person supports Donald Trump wants him re-elected president or uh, could be a Democrat who supports Joe Biden if, in fact, uh, uh, he runs for office again and uh, survives uh, uh, this political process. It's the only time we've ever seen people come together as, as separate as they are in all other things. It's about their love of, of animals. I mean, again, it's it's so universal. So, uh, you know, and certainly how many people have their pets, they view, view them as family members. But, you know, I think there's much more of a recognition of animals just out there in the universe than there was before. Like, oh, what, what are ha- what's happening to the animals at shelters? I think it, there was a lot of, um, you know, lack of information before, you know, and, and again, I think there's so much more access to information. So people are, their um, sort of worldview of what animal rights encompasses is just so much wider and which is great because they're actually so much more vested in so many issues. I mean, you should be. If you love animals, you you need to be aware of a lot of these things that are affecting them and how you can help. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. As we continue with our Animal Welfare Hour exclusive to WABC. WABC. Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. And as we round it up before Dominic Carter comes on at 12 midnight, last week, Nancy, we talked about how people have come up with remedies in terms of what to do to a lobster before you would prepare it to be uh, eaten. And they were thinking about, well, maybe drugs that could sedate the lobster before it's executed, before it's put on your plate. Our own Frank Morano is going through a midlife crisis because he loves seafood, he Uh, He can't wait to go to Atlantic City to shoot craps uh, at the Borgata and to go downstairs to the buffet and get crab legs. And now he is just like cuckoo for lobster. Charlotte Gill says her lobsters seem to display signs of distress, such as scratching at the sides of the pots, dropping their claws, and trying to climb out. These responses might be similar to a person withdrawing their hand after touching a hot stove. So obviously we can't talk to the lobsters. It's impossible to know for certain if lobsters' experience of pain mirrors ours. But what we've got are a lot of warning signs. And yet he still doesn't mind a lobster still alive being put into boiling, scalding water in front of a pot for him as he's got his lobster bib on, and all he's asking for is more butter, please. Yes, Nancy? Yes. Oh, oh okay. I see Ken uh, was discombobulated there. Uh, so Frank uh, recognizes that the lobsters, when they're put into the boiling water to be prepared for him to dine on with his lobster bib on and his extra butter are suffering, but it doesn't bother him. 
Yeah, I mean, again, I I think there's a lot of things that people ignore so that they can go about their daily life the way that they'd like to. So I'm just going to put that in Frank's category right there. He wants. I, I find. I mean, I find it mortifying. I mean, but that's the whole point. Once you think about it, I mean, everything that I that I figured out, it was, you know, after I sort of educated myself on it, he just doesn't want to know more about it because then maybe he'll have to change his, his eating habits. But, you know, it's it's certainly the more enlightened way to think. I know, but to, to realize he's seeing it, he's seeing a live lobster put in front of this huge pot of boiling water, knowing that it's suffering, and all he can do is put a bib on and ask for more butter. I mean, uh, <sighs> yeah, and, and they and they let him have kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Carmine, that's right. Yeah, hopefully, Carmine has not been exposed to this. <laughs> anyway, let's go to Tom in Clifton. Your turn to be heard here on WABC. Tom in Clifton, Clifton. Hey, this is Tom from Clifton. You hear me? Yes, Tom. Yeah, this is interesting. Lobster, it's interesting. Um, I'm not criticizing your comments. They're very valid, but interesting. I had one uh, chef who said to me he would take the lobster and put it in wine for a while, which supposedly was, would seduce the lobster to a point where he felt he wasn't torturing it. A little sidebar. I was wondering what, if anybody ever thought about that, or you would kind of anesthetize it before you actually prepared it for a meal or something like that. So that's what he had said. Now, he also said that doing that actually – made the lobster more uh, edible because it didn't die like in torture like you're talking about. But that's a little sidebar. I don't disagree. Everybody can have their own opinion. And that's one so, comment. So, so let me get this straight. You get the, the lobster drunk by <laughs> dousing it in wine so it doesn't feel the pain when in front of Frank Morano it's put into the boiling pot of water. I, I would rather do that now. I, obviously, people would disagree with the whole concept. but that And one one cook also said that. The lobster actually takes better. So it kind of, uh, I'm going to say, killed two birds with one stone if you agree with it. If you don't well, do it, I'm You know what? It. When it comes to lobster, I've never liked lobster myself personally, but I would uh, take the um, Orthodox way. Orthodox Jews and Orthodox Muslims do not believe in eating treif, uh, which are shellfish. Let's go to Harriet calling from Sheepshead Bay. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Harriet. Hi, Curtis. I'm glad to see Nancy's back there. She's doing well. Um, in Sheepshead Bay, it seems that the seagulls are being affected by those fires, the smog that's coming in from Canada. Um, they seem to, um, uh, they're not signaling to each other as they usually do, screaming and yelling. And uh, it seems that um, it looks like they're going in and out of, of the smog and I really think that it's it's affecting them. Um, those uh, fires don't seem normal, especially the orange stuff that was coming in. I hear people from the Midwest saying that they're detecting benzene and formaldehyde, maybe Agent Orange. So I don't know if we're under attack uh, from the northern border. Uh, it affected my eyes, and I'm sure that it's affecting the seagulls, their navigation. They're not signaling to each other as they usually do. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's got it. all of this smoke throws people off, Harriet. And the Canadians yeah. have taken this laissez-faire attitude like, well, uh, we can't get to most of the fires because they're in very rural areas of Quebec or some of the other provinces. We'll just let them burn themselves out. Meantime, all these poisonous toxins are floating in the air down towards us. They're affecting animals. They're affecting humans. And we're like, well, I guess they just got to burn themselves out. No, no, they don't. We can help put them out. Yeah. They've got this orange deposits in uh, the the, um, lower Manhattan Harbor, according to the New York Post. There's this yellow yellow uh, uh, orange deposits from the yellow um, uh, garbage that was coming in. Yeah, well, well uh, just uh, as an example, Nancy, give yeah. us an update on all these uh, Canadian gnats that have invaded our space because uh, they're everywhere, especially in the city. Yeah, so these are, you know, apparently they've been making their way the past bunch of weeks. So, you know, they're popping up randomly, and they're in these little swarms. They're so tiny, you really can't see them until you're, like, engulfed in them. 
And so they're, like, attaching to clothes. I mean, you're breathing. When you breathe in, you, people are ingesting them. They're, so, and again, apparently these come from um, Canada. They're native to, to Canada. And, you know, again, the places they're showing up are just random places throughout the city. Now, the New York City Public Health Department says they don't present any known public health risks. So that's, uh, yeah, I don't, know if, I don't know if we want to trust that or not. No, and think of it, all this acreage that they're allowing to burn without trying to put it out, two-thirds of the fires, they're not even trying to burn, uh, uh, put it out. So naturally, you got these gnats that are embedded into these trees and the other foliage that surround the trees. They're escaping the fires because of the heat and the smoke. They're working their way down to the United States, coming across the border illegally, I might add. And they're eating our plants. They're affecting our plant life. Uh, we Normally you would have ladybugs uh, that would uh, counteract them, but the ladybugs are migrating away. So what the hell are we supposed to have? Fly swatters running after these Canadian gnats? Well, one, one idea now, and I'm not sure if they're going to utilize it or not, but they're talking about this thing called lacewing larvae, which apparently is you know has been used as what they call biological control agent and so so what it would do is these um you know aphids these flying things from canada they uh, they they eat off of the sap of trees so what happens is you put the larvae on these you know areas and then so the, the idea is that they're going to eat you know and then this is how you get rid of this this population the only thing is this hasn't really been done in this type of environment before because usually it's in like an enclosed thing like a garden um, or a greenhouse. So now they want to do it in a whole city. And the only the thing is the larvae, which eat them, they last two to three weeks. But then after that comes the adults, which last for like a month or two. So I don't know if – I mean, now again, the good thing going for it, it's not a pesticide. It's not a genetically modified type of thing, but – I don't know if we know what the consequences of a whole bunch of adult lace wings are going to be once they become adults. And remember, the females clone their own. They don't even need a male to clone their own. Now, nobody's getting upset about them, but you mentioned the lanternflies. Oh, they want to go to war, hazmat suits, there's Schumer having press conferences. We've got to destroy the lanternflies. Yet the gnats are everywhere now from Canada because of the fires. And there's not a word about it. Not yeah, a word. I guess they get away with it because they're so small. So, they, you know, they're, they're, they're flying under the radar. So I guess, I guess they heard what, what happened to the lanternfly. Yeah. Yeah. We, we went to war on lanternflies. Remember, we were training kids to get a newspaper, roll up a newspaper, whack a lanternfly, right? Step on lanternflies. Oh, we mobilized the country against the lanternflies. Hotlines to call. Right, because they were part of our own uh, bugology, so to speak. Bugology. But, oh, my God, Canadian gnats, and we're not doing anything. Yeah, no, we're just letting them just, just come on over the border like it's no big deal. Well, remember, there's the Canada goose, the Canadian geese. Uh, I've tracked their migratory patterns. You know, they're supposed to migrate all the way down to the Capistrano area, you know, south of the border. And they seem to have stopped and permanently made this their residence. They're pooping everywhere, and you can't even approach them, or they're, like, ready to aggressively charge you. Oh, and also these larvae, they're aggressive, too, just so you know. <laughs> oh, they are. Yeah, that's a, that's why they have to de- they have to deliver them as larvae because when they hatch, they're aggressive and cannibalistic. <laughs> now this is interesting. We've been told that Canadians are <laughs> docile, they're friendly, but they're sure not friendly in this way. <laughs> not these ones. Anyway, let's go to Tom in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Tom. Uh, yes. Good evening, uh, Nancy Curtis. Um, I heard you before talking about. Um, dogs being traumatized with thunder and with fireworks. And it reminded me that a few nights ago, I saw a TV commercial for a spray that you spray. They show that on the commercial, they I don't know if they're spraying it in the dog's face or on his coat or on his bedding. Uh, and it's also for cats. And it led me to believe that what 
what's in this spray and perhaps uh, it's it could be abused by children or adults on children or just abused on i don't know what's in this spray do you happen to know the commercial name of the product oh i'm going to i don't now but i have i'm going to keep my eyes well for if it. you could uh, tom if you could uh, nancy how can tom and everyone else stay in touch with you if they want to follow up, especially this situation out in Linden and the nearby township that have a shooting range for the police officers only about 50 yards from where they have their city shelters for the dogs, cats, and other animals? Uh, Well, you can visit uh, uh, guardianangels.org and the animal protection tab. That's where the information's at. Or you can email me, nancy at guardianangels.org. Let's try by next uh, week's animal welfare program and see if we can get uh, any updates on what's happening in Linden at that uh, police firing range and the nearby town. Let's go to Robert in Suffolk. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Robert. Hi, Curtis and Nancy. I would hope that people can go beyond TNR. Because one quarter of the cats that I've trapped to TNR at first have been abandoned pets, especially after COVID. And they've become good house pets. And also ferals, 9 out of 10 that I've worked with, they've become good house cats too. Well, more people should try and save them and keep them. If they're friendly or docile, and not aggressive after you get them, then they are pet potential. Now, that's a excellent point, Robert, because you're right. In the aftermath of the lockdown and pandemic of March of 2020, uh, when there was, and Nancy, could you uh, mention what that acronym means? Because a lot of people, they hear that, but they don't necessarily know what that means. Yeah, so the trap neuter return is, the concept of the cats who live outdoors, the feral cats, um, you trap them, fix them, and then return them back to their environment. But if they're out, they're indoor cats that were just dumped outdoors, to his point, you can adopt them into homes. So definitely you got to keep an eye out for the friendly ones. Excellent. All right, another great hour in the can, the Animal Welfare Hour, exclusive to WABC. But up next, Dominic Carter, the Big Mac Daddy Man, who will be joining... Also, Anthony Weiner, in just a few hours, substituting for Sid Rosenberg, who will be back on Wednesday. But it will be Anthony Weiner and Dominic Carter, 6 to 10, Monday morning. But you know I'm not giving up my 7.05 uh, appearance that I do with Sid Monday through Fridays. I'll be there also.